You've joined the Betamax Video Club, rewinding back to our favourite films of the 1980s. My name's Richard Nelson, and today I've rented the Ewok Adventures, Caravan of Courage, and Battle for Endor. Watching it with me is Matt Spacer from Bondsuits.com. Hi Matt, how are you? Hey Rich, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for bringing the copies of these Betamax masterpieces. This is one that we've talked about doing for a few months now. What's so special about these movies for you? Well, for me... When I first heard about them, it was just like getting extra bonus Star Wars. Because to me, I mean, I had seen the, the original trilogy, and then I, I, I did not see these when they uh, first released. I, w- I was not even born yet. I wasn't wouldn't be born until a couple years later. So, but when I when I first heard about them, I it just was extra Star Wars, which which, which was just so special. Anything extra Star Wars was very special back then. Now we're getting a lot more Star Wars, which is still, I think, is exciting, but it's not the same as back in the back in the '80s. It's just extra. It's more stuff than of, of more of what we love. In the sort of current climate, since Star Wars or, or Lucasfilm were, were bought by Disney, and they tore out of the blocks, they they brought out Rogue One and Solo quite quickly, and then that that whole idea seems to have certainly hit the brakes but um i mean these two came out i mean originally and and this is a slight caveat these are officially tv movies so they weren't released in the sort of way that the star wars movies were done but they came out 84 and 85 and they're so built around ewoks i remember that's the whole point but to have a part of a film you know in, in return of the jedi that came out and they've obviously looked at that and thought right what can we do to to really push these along and and whether it was for a marketing point of view which when it comes to star wars most things probably are or whether you look at things as a how can they continue and maybe this was the start of another trilogy who knows but i've been watching it now in the the way that you know since then we've had uh five star wars movies and the sixth or the final one is coming out soon it's um it's very strange to look at something in the Star Wars universe that doesn't get a lot of attention these days. Yeah, I think that well, these these films, they probably now they 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 aren't going to get the same kind of attention because especially now that they are not canon, they're not part mm. of the Star Wars canon. They've this and all the other extended universe or now legends um, material has now just been erased from Star Wars, which. I, I remember when that happened, it upset a lot of old Star Wars fans. To me, I was never as as interested in all those other expanded universe things. I played games when I was a kid on the computer, maybe a little on the, well, when, the, when Nintendo 64 started. There were I got some Star Wars games on that, but I think to me, I was never, I never, I didn't. I read a few of the extended universe books, but not a lot of them. So to me, I, I wasn't offended when those old when the all that all the extended universe was erased from canon and i do think that this is one of those films that i bet a lot of people aren't that upset was erased from canon <laughs> no I, as you say they they sort of sit in a a little closet somewhere in in the the star wars universe as you say they're, they're under a, is it a legends sort of banner now where all the stuff that they they don't want to completely disown but they're certainly not part of the current their current plans um which is strange to find that you know, when I noticed them about six months ago, they popped up on on Amazon Prime in the UK and like to to watch. You know, in your home on a on a telly, it, it's such a strange way because you know the, I don't even think in this country they got a DVD release. So the fact that there are there is a ver- there are versions floating around, and I mean they're certainly not in HD, but they're you know certainly watchable from a picture and sound quality mm-hmm. point of view. But yeah, and the, the fact that they they sit together in this little corner even of amazon and there is some weird weird stuff on amazon um it's nice to know that that these things you know and i I remember i know we talked off air i actually saw them back to back at the cinema in it must have been 1986 or 87 Mm. i think the um the barbican cinema in london was showing them and um it was just you know at that time i think I, i would have been six and just craving anything Star Wars. And at that point, I probably still thought that the Ewoks were brilliant. I guess at that age, obviously, as I've grown older, perhaps my opinions have changed. But um, 
yeah, to, to watch them again, what, 33, 32 years later, because I, I honestly don't think I've seen them since then. My, my thoughts and my memories have changed drastically. See, you know, when I first saw them, so um, I, I was not born yet when they were aired on television here. So, but I, I first discovered it at um, my local library. The they had so my local library had in the, in the children's section had a section of um, there was an area of of uh, VHS tapes, and I, I saw I know some one of them. It said the Battle for Endor, and uh, I, I knew I knew the name Endor from Return of the Jedi. So it was like I picked that up. I don't even recall if there was any. Um, and any uh, cover art on it. I think it might have just been a, a video. So, it, it, you know, Endor is not a name exclusive to Star Wars. So I, 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 I was, it was just luck that I guess that, um, that happened to actually be Star Wars related when I saw that. So I, I borrowed it from the library and, and watched it and brought it back. And then I'd go, every time I'd go to the library, I'd, I'd go take it out again. I show my I, I'd show my friends. It was like I'd tell my friends, "Wow, there's you know there's there's more Star Wars that 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 we didn't even know about." And so, but at this time, I had only known the first, you know, I mean, the second of the Ewok films. I didn't even know there was um, the first one, the the Ewok Adventure, which was also known as the the Caravan of Courage and Ewok Adventure. So I didn't even know about that, and I think until the internet wasn't that much later that the internet became a thing. And uh, then I, I read about this, this on the internet, and there were I could see that there were a, there was another one which I did not see until I was an adult. Yeah. Do you feel like you missed out? You know, I I probably I would I would have very much appreciated another Ewok film when I was a kid. I would have loved to have watched another one. I mean, after watching the the first one, I I don't know if it's because I watched the Battle for Endor first that I think of that more highly than I think of the first one. But uh, now that I've watched both of them again and again, I, I still think the Battle for Endor is the better one of the two. I mean, having watched them both in the last, certainly in the last couple of days um, before this, I mean, I, I really couldn't remember an awful lot. But for some reason, I, I had it in my head that Battle for Endor was on a much bigger scale than, than it was. And, and I guess this is the constraints of it being a TV movie, but that they probably didn't have the budget or or anything. And, and this is where the story went. But and, and even the name Battle for Endor sounds like it's some sort of interplanetary issue where people are going to try and invade or take over the planet. But, you know, I mean, this came out aimed at kids because the whole Ewok, and bear in mind, the lead human-ish is a girl who was probably no more than five fighting skeletal looking zombies who wanted some power supply and the leader had a massive sword that's quite scary yeah i i don't remember if i was all that scared watching that as a as like a nine-year-old probably Mm. um couldn't tell whether they were skeletons or zombies or or anything but that they just and and the way they were portrayed as you know like anything from sort of tales going back to pirate times or something like that where they just like a drink and gambling and and this and it was quite amusing to watch as an adult and seeing that it was like pirates of the caribbean again exactly starting with the caravan of courage i mean i i you know i I couldn't even remember what to make of that and because i always knew it as caravan of courage and you know to me a caravan of courage is something that you you go on a week away of your parents somewhere to (laughs) some rain-soaked part of the country but um it's only a little bit later in that we learn what it is but in here we've got two kids a a how old's the boy probably a early teenager and this young girl again this is sindel who who makes it to the second movie spoiler and they're abandoned from their parents who get kidnapped by a monster of some sort they get adopted by ewoks which i suppose if you're a small girl of, of four or five, that must be quite amusing to have basically big teddy bears take hold of you. Yeah, she seemed to love it. The boy seemed desperate to get her away and she wanted to stay. Yeah, and I, I do think that um, just as any other kid at the time would have loved the Ewoks, she has that same reaction. She she wants to befriend them. You know, I mean, any kid would want to become friends with, with friendly, uh, like, I mean, just teddy bear creatures. But yeah, the the boy wasn't too interested. And I, I like the way that, and again, they they portrayed him in in both his outfit and his look, like a 
it sounds awful a budget luke skywalker oh it's clearly that i mean he's supposed yeah. to be like a, a little luke I mean, that empire strikes back outfit i mean the haircut of course yeah. And it's not just that it was trendy at the time. I think they, they certainly wanted him to look like Luke. His, even his eyes are similar to Mark Hamill's, I think. Hmm. I, I mean, I'm looking at him, and I am seeing a young Luke. And it's also, it's not just his look. It's the whole character. He's just like Luke. He's very impatient. And yeah. he, he doesn't really have faith in, in other people. Like Luke, Luke didn't, at first, you know, Luke didn't have faith in other people. He wanted to do everything himself. He wanted to take charge. Although he also didn't really have a lot of faith in himself, he does question himself. He's very much like like Luke, and if if this was you know Luke as a teenager, even you know even younger than he was in uh, A New Hope, I think I think it's exactly the same character that we would have seen with Luke. Yeah, and we see throughout the film, there's uh, as the whole plot evolves around the the Ewoks are trying to help this boy Mace and and the girl Sindel to to find their parents. You know the Ewoks are very friendly, night or most of them are anyway, friendly and nice. And they've adopted Sindel, and and he seems keen. But I mean, there's a part where they get all these sort of Ewok artifacts as they go off on their expedition. It's like something out like of Lord of the Rings, where and they get these sort of mystical items, and he gets given a rock. And of course, we learn later on that the rock has a an actual purpose. But he just throws it on the floor. Oh, there's a rock, and it is that almost tantrum of Luke Skywalker saying it's just not fair. You know, when he's told he can't go to the academy. Right, it's the same thing. It's very deliberate. It's um, it's it's good. I mean, it's it's nice that they still keep that, and and again the whole element of of transport between planets because this this spaceship has has crashed on on Endor. One thing I I did notice when I was reading. And again, my my research for this was was limited because there's not a, not about it. Um, but apparently, this these two movies were supposed to be set between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Right. So this would be, and again, it's not quite Endor, but they would be very much under the the rule of the Empire. And surely, I don't know the time scales, but they would notice that they were building a second Death Star near Endor. Well, at the, they would done at the time, surely. Well, I, I although I do I was wondering if maybe there's no, I mean, there's no Empire presence in this film. No. I, I was, I mean, just as there isn't much other Star Wars presence in this film. But I, I was wondering if maybe the this took place before the the Empire would have even um, a rod endor perhaps i don't I, I didn't do the research but maybe do we do we know if the second death star was actually being built over there or if they built it somewhere else and moved it to uh the forest mood of endor later on mm, that's that's a fair point so because i think if you take a look at the time i mean I'm, I'm not a star wars fan i mean and this this in no way is a shameless attempt to capitalize on the release of episode nine I'm sure from the first movies, because they were building the Death Star at the end of Revenge of the Sith, and then it was Star Wars, so however old it took for Luke Skywalker to get from baby to whatever age he would have been, 18, Yeah, I think it's 20. about 18 years, yeah. Yeah, so I guess it, you know, for, for that Death Star would have taken, you know, yeah, best part of 18 years, so... Uh, again, but the, the, like you said... Yeah, but the second one was built much faster... I, I would assume. Yeah. I would assume it was, and although even though it, it is a lot bigger, the Empire conquered more people. They probably <laughs> enslaved more people to build the second Death Star for them. Let's say all these uh, migrant labor or something like that. It's like they're building a stadium for Olympics or World Cup or something. Yeah. Now, one thing I did notice about, I mean, the Battle for Endor when I was a kid, and it's, which applies to both Ewok films, is that. I, I was not fooled into believing that these these really were Star Wars films entirely, because they have the Ewoks. They don't have very much else from Star Wars. They they do have. I mean, each film does have um, what they call a star cruiser. I think mm. I think that was a term they use in Star Wars. Yeah. But now there's there's one part in uh, Caravan of Courage where 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 um, Mace calls he 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 asks for his gun. Gun is, an, I don't believe, is a term that's really used in Star Wars. They call them blasters. He, they don't, he doesn't, I mean, and this clearly is a blaster. It, it shoots some, some kind of laser out of it. It doesn't shoot bullets. 
so yeah that 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 bothered me when i saw when i heard him say when he when he calls his blaster a gun because that's just not star wars no you know this sits here with the lucasfilm opening and, and george lucas as the executive producer but i can't imagine he'd have had a lot of hands-on interest and in i mean even you know i'm sure he must have made a, a few dollars out of it at least but um it just seems as though they didn't and I, I mean they wouldn't get away with that now i suppose you know with the, the internet and, and they'd have so much emphasis on continuity and the whole legacy and you look at the marvel films and however many of those there are have all woven so closely into you know, ultimately what appears to be a finale of sorts and again with star wars you know that they, they all every part of star wars seems to link to something else there's as you say even the mention of a gun rather than a blaster it's something that you know wouldn't pass even in the prequels but um it yeah it just it just seems like they've taken you know parts of it and this mace character was clearly based on skywalker but yeah talking about a gun it's um yeah it, it sounds like it's i mean it was um it's inspired by star wars but the people that created it didn't really fully understand the star wars universe but now the part of it is also due to, to budget. I mean, it's a lot of things. I mean, script the things that are that are spoken that's easily changed. But with um, there were other things like one thing, something that very much bothered me, probably more than anything else. Probably my biggest criticism of the film was that so the Ewoks we see in the first one they're farmers. They have they have a they keep many farm animals. They have. They have goats. They have they have llamas. They have they have pet rabbits and pet ferrets. They have, they have chickens. I mean, and they, they ride horses and ponies. And, and these these are earth creatures. And a lot of people. Mm. I, I remember when I was a kid, a lot of people would talk about Endor as if it was Earth. They talk about the forest moon of Endor as if it was Earth because it resembled, somewhat resembled um, the woodsy area and the, the woodsy suburbs of New York City that I grew up in. I think to them that looked more like Earth than, say, the, the the desert of Tatooine. Even though every part of all the planets in Star Wars resemble some aspect of Earth, it's just that the forest moon of Endor represented was a bit more like where I'm from, even though it was filmed in uh, Northern California. I mean, I suppose in this sense, it the, these types of animals would fit in there, but they don't fit in with Star Wars. And then we also see other animals in in um, the Caravan of Courage, we see owl, we see an owl, we see a lizard, we see a mouse. And Star Wars would never have any of these creatures. They would at least make some kind of, of approximation of it for, for their own universe. The special edition versions of, of the Star Wars, the first film, where they added all these extra CGI characters that looked like a cross between a dinosaur and a lizard that could ride and, and all these things, where you know, the, the animals that they did do they weren't just the sort of one. I mean, that you don't find a Labrador walking through Tatooine. No, they'll. I mean, that'd, no, that'd be fun. Yeah, it would be, but you know, they don't do that. And I think that's one thing that always appealed to me about Star Wars, especially as a kid, was that it was so different from our own world. We, we had so little from our own world there. We didn't have any of the animals. It was, and if I, I feel like if I saw when I see these animals, it takes me out of the Star Wars universe and brings it back into my own, which. I don't appreciate. I, I, I like take being taken away from it. The whole escapism is part of the whole point. And I think Star Wars does a better job with that escapism than almost anything else because, I mean, when most most fantasy takes, um, they use, I mean, horses are very commonly found in all sorts of fantasy, but not Star Wars. Hmm. I, I think I think that a lot of fantasy takes our own world, or and, and they also take, other like other types other, like other fan- things from fantasy like um, I mean dragons are a very common thing across all different fantasy worlds, and we actually get a dragon in, uh, in the Battle for Endor, but that's not a Star Wars character. I, I feel like Star Wars would take the dragon idea and make it into something of its own. It would, they would have their own sort of dragon. It would definitely have something different about it to set it apart from a dragon. It looks like they sort of picked up whatever animals that a local petting zoo had that weekend, <laughs> shoved them in the background. I mean, even when, you know, while it looks like they spent a, f- a fair bit of money on 
Is it the Gorax, the main baddie villain oh. thing? And I, I think that's a great. Dr. Seuss. Was not not the Lorax, but the Gorax. Yeah. <laughs> Probably inspired by the Lorax name, or or perhaps Borax soap, <laughs> but it's the, the Gorax. Yeah. I mean that that looked. I mean, first time I saw it, it looked like one of the guards from Jabba's palace oh. in Return of the Jedi, which I thought is at least. You know, they, they've made an effort with him. It's like a sort of ratty dog, ugly thing. Yeah. So, so you know, we don't actually find out in this film where where the um, you know, where, where the Tawanis are from, where where Sindel and her family are. They actually supposed to be from our own Earth? It's hard to tell. I mean, bear in mind, you know, how many of the exactly very human characters in Star Wars come right. from all over the place. I, I don't think Earth's ever no, it's never ever no, mentioned. No. Or, or there's not a, something in the Star Wars universe. But there's something no. else that Mace mentions back to the animal thing. He does call Ewoks little bears, which which mm. is also not a Star Wars thing. A bear is not a it's not something from Star Wars. It it is how it's how my my wife when she sees Ewoks, she's like, oh, with the cute little bears, <laughs> and, and she still calls them little bears. We we actually we watched the first one together and part oh, wow. she, she watched part of the second one with me at what point did she leave <laughs> um oh, it wasn't that far into the to, into uh, the <laughs> second one it, it she had some things to do it, it was oh, okay. it wasn't because of the film she wants to finish it she, she yeah. she's a she she loves fantasy okay. she loves lord of the rings and that lord of, you 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 had mentioned lord of the rings before and um about the 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 gifts that they get to bring on their journey so you know, my my wife did mention about how the how this, especially the first one, is very much like like the Lord of the Rings. That they they all you know it's a group of people or things that that get together to go on a journey. It is a fellowship. It's, it's certainly a fellowship, and I mean, Lord of the Rings is is probably one of the, one of the, probably the most important work of fantasy literature, and and uh, certainly inspired this. There are there are horses in Lord of the Rings, just like there are here, and I, I mean, just so, so many of the elements from Lord of the Rings are brought into this story. It's it's almost I, I mean you're almost selling it more of a Lord of the Rings adventure than a Star Wars one. It is, um, it, especially having seen I mean the, the films of Lord of the Rings came years after this, but um, but, but Lord of the Rings was around long before this. Well, of course, well, yeah. So. But but even then, you sort of see. You know, the, I mean, if they'd called this or well, the first Lord of the Rings book the Caravan of the Ring, that would have been amusing. Yes, it would have. It would have worked. It, it, it would have worked, though. I mean, the... Maybe they use that as, a, as an inspiration. I don't know. I mean, it's certainly that, that's the main plot. You know, they go on this this epic quest. Yeah. Um, no, the Lord of the Rings had to be some kind of sort of inspiration for this. I, I have no doubt about that. It it, yeah. it feels like the Lord of the Rings. It's, it's there's too much in common with it. It has much more in common with Lord of the Rings than anything Star Wars. And again, take take Ewoks out of this, and and it's just another mid eighties fantasy style epic. Well, not epic. With you know, especially in the second one, you've got the weird rat thing. <laughs> yes, Teague. 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 Yeah. Teague. Yeah, um, is a Teague as well. It's his name. And okay. It's just 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 <laughs> like how I sometimes I refer to my cat as just cat. Yeah, my dog answers to dog. Yeah. The, you know the the story they go on this quest and it's you know hiking through the desert and through valleys and things like that and the forest it's um you know at least there is you know a plot and and they're going on and they've got the narration over the top just in case just to fill in those gaps throughout and the whole point is to find these kids kidnapped parents who are just living in a cage yeah it's uh, i actually find it very amusing once we actually see the parents in the cage they're just kind of sitting there, and the the Gorax looks at them. I mean, I don't look at my food like that. No, but the, the Gorax is is not as intelligent as we are. The Gorax, oh, the Gorax is is not a uh, it's not as intelligent as the Ewoks. Just just <laughs> like any um, your, your typical ogre. Hmm. Yeah. I I think the closest thing the Gorax, I mean, compared to other things from Star Wars, the Gorax probably remind me most of the Wampa. Yeah. I think that's the closest thing, and may, I mean, not quite the Rancor. The Rancor is probably not quite as intelligent as the Wampa and the, the Gorax. But at least he, t- he sort of kidnaps or, or takes takes Luke. Yeah, pe- it's the same way. Yeah. I, I do think I think the the Wampa takes Luke, and then the and the Gorax takes 
takes um, the parents the same way that the you, you don't really see. I guess would you you kind of see the Gorex coming, but you don't really know what happens. And sort of Luke wakes up and he's captured. Well, this was the part of, the, of, the of Empire Strikes Back, wasn't it? Where they in the original version. Uh, so try not to go into this wormhole too much, but um, you don't really see the Wampa. Yeah, but you don't see the Wampa in the original version. You yeah. only see, you just see an arm and you hear lots of yeah. noise. I, I I love that about the original Wampa because it's you don't know what's happening. Luke doesn't know exactly what's happening. Unfortunately, '97 when they redid the uh, films and they gave it a uh, was that a I think that's a, I think the Wampa is actually a person in a costume, isn't it? I, I think so. Yeah. That that would be. I don't think that would be compute, computer done. No, they would have done that mm. in motion capture today. And again, I, I've talked talked about this on previous episodes. And and again, the Wampa, you know, was only a very small part of that film. But he, you know, when you look at some of the films, great films where there's been a monster or a creature that you don't know, it's because you part of their mystique is that you don't see them. You know, it goes from anything. You know, Predator was the last episode of recording and that's something you don't see albeit part of that's because he's invisible but you know and again with the Wampa once you put him on the screen it's like, oh there he is he's a big yeti thing looks like from the the thing from Monsters Inc yeah I, I, I wonder if the showing the Gorax was was a response to not showing the Wampa if they had anything to do with each other but but uh, I mean the Gorax is there much more than the Wampa is so we we get to really know what the Gorax is like, but again, the Gorax I suppose is pretty much the same as any other silly um, fantasy monster. The the way it responds to having, and, I mean, just they go for its feet, but it won't actually kill it. It's one of these. It, it takes a while to die, but I suppose in the size comparison, the, that Ewok with the axe who just sits there, sort of hacking at his toes. Yeah. That's, that's that looked quite painful actually. Yeah, but it's, it's not. But it's not going to kill it. No, but it's a, it's a, mi- a minor irritation. Yeah, I, I am. At, it takes me a little while to understand the scale of the Gorax and how gigantic it is because I, I do. I think it's. I think it's a little inconsistent from shot to shot about how big the Gorax truly is. I think when you first see it, that that glimpse at the beginning when the parents are, are sort of stranded, um, you're not quite sure, and then. You know, in comparison, you know, when you, when you see it in its cave, it looks like it could be you know, fifty feet. You never, right. you never really know. No, sometimes you, you can't tell. Is, is it is it thirty feet, twenty feet, or is it two hundred feet? But that's I guess the the low budget of the film shows through there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can, and again, like I said, when they're on their way to the the cave to find him, you know, they they come across a giant spider, and that is a spider. That's not a. I can't even think it sounds like something out of Willy Wonka, but the, the it is a spider that they kill. Right. They, they don't. Oh, yes. They don't make many efforts to dress but, that up. Yes, but yes, an- another Earth creature. Another thing that we that's from Lord of the Rings. Although this one, the, was it the whichever Ewok it was? I, they used that weird stick to make its eyes go green. Oh. <laughs> they could have done a lot with that, and and then they just kill it. I, I do have a hard time remembering which Ewok is which. Because they all look almost the same. I mean, like I, I know Wicket has his his own look, but they all kind of have yeah. their own look. But it's very very difficult to remember which one is which. Did, did you have that trouble? Oh yeah, I mean, I I only re- ever remember the name of Wicket because and and that was one of the original toys I had mm-hmm. when I had the Star Wars toys. Was I had a, a Wicket, and again, you know, that was a short thing made of plastic. Um, and it probably maybe because Warwick Davis is a minor celebrity here still oh yeah people remember him for being wicked but yeah. um, well and and willow yeah. known for that. Oh, of course yeah yeah no, the only other name i remembered was deej that was wicket's father and i remembered that only because deej is the name of a savile row tailor <laughs> that that's that's my, my my thing is tailoring and so somehow i've gotten into talking about star wars now i i was a big star wars fan before i got into james bond and and menswear i know we've joked about this previously but uh, now you've brought it up i mean when we talk about tailoring i'm i'm not particularly big on it but the fashions and the tailoring and and, i mean there's a big difference between fashion and style but um the outfits that the ewoks wear i mean would they be the sort of thing that you'd see on perhaps a a lazenby or a roger moore or they'd be more connery era (laughs) you know these 
I, I think that the whole thing about I, when I watched this, I, I actually did not pay much attention to any of the clothes. It's very. I mean, I paid attention to Mace's outfit, which looks like something that a rebel pilot would would, would wear. Um, Noah in the second film wears some odd frock of some sort. I don't know what he's. <laughs> I don't know what he's wearing. Um, but the rest of it, I think the clothes are just. I, I think I mean clothing. It either it looks like it, if it fits in with the Star Wars universe, that that was that's clothing that's in this film in this film that's done a good job. And I think that the clothes do look like they fit in with Star Wars. I mean, the Ewoks do have the same designs as they did in Return of the Jedi, and which which is very important because it, at least the Ewoks look like the same creatures. Because that, that yeah. they could have messed that up. They, that could that could have easily been messed up, and and it didn't. But they didn't. They did that right. By the time you start introducing, the, you know, I mean, they have their headgear and various. I suppose the the elders or the the older ones have robes and weird, funny hats and things like that. But um, but yeah, I mean, you, you can see, and again, this is the departure from Star Wars in the fact that there isn't a lot of certainly human character of characters in this. And and when we move on to the second film, I mean, the the characters who we learned from the first one. I mean, you've got Mace, the two parents whose names I didn't remember, but the dad suddenly became the, the deputy chief from Die Hard, which, you know, he, he must have done well. This is Deputy Chief of Police Dwayne T. Robinson, and I am in charge of this situation. Oh, you're in charge? Well, I got some bad news for you, Dwayne. From up here, it doesn't look like you're in charge of jack shit. I mean, they die quite early in the film. Right. They're um, murdered by these pillaging marauding zombie skeletons yeah well the 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 kill so you don't see them die on screen you um and so i mean obviously the actors from mace and jeremit are there but the act the actress that played uh, the mother uh, katarine she's she's not she's not there it's quite obvious you don't see her face she doesn't have any lines you just see her from the back Okay, we've got a budget here. Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, of course, they don't show them dying, I think, more more because it's it, they don't want it to be sad to children. It, I think it yeah. definitely lessens the impact, just, just as they don't show, like, human, any human, any people, like, anyone with a human face dying in, in this. I mean, when the dad eventually cops it, it's you only really see his hand dropping as he's sort of shot by the the marauders and it's kind of his does a lot of conveying of death and acting with just his arm falling slowly <laughs> because i suppose again it's you have to bear in mind this is the same thing as star wars you know they are kids films although we we should never forget the fact that um uncle owen and aunt boo were cremated and burnt to death and we saw their skeletons right but- in in a film that was for kids yeah, yeah, that that's the uh, the hardest part of that. I think when I was a kid, I didn't even notice the skeletons. Probably when I first watched, yeah. but now yeah. it's it's still it's still it's still very haunting if I see that now, just to see their their skeletons there. But the thing is, you you can't that this kind of film you can't exactly show um, good guys killing humans. That's why they kill stormtroopers mm. who don't have faces. Or, or they kill monsters or um, other other masked masked people. It's easier to sell the whole good versus evil thing. I think um, uh, we talked about that in the Masters of the Universe episode, where apparently, uh, what was the toy maker? Was it Mattel who made Masters of the Universe? They didn't want He Man killing you know people. They, they wanted it because they wanted to keep it as a toy for kids. So they ended up having most of the villains in that were robots as well in the way that the stormtroopers were so that they are faceless things they're not people he's he's killing again that that seems to be a huge emphasis in this but um yeah and and i guess with these marauders these villains it's make them as supposedly scary and hideous as you can so that it seems a little bit easier when they die i mean i'm sure i feel like if if i was ever a soldier and i had to kill Enemies, probably very difficult to kill someone with a face, but probably much easier to kill someone that that was just some some mass enemy coming at you. Something something like the undead. I mean, they look a bit like orcs from Lord of the Rings. Yes, that that was something else that 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 my wife uh, brought up. She's very big into Lord of the Rings. 
Um, so oh, she was she's able to compare compare these these characters and pretty much everything that she could to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and anything to make it watchable. I mean, the the, the plot of this again is so you've got Terek, Terak, who's this king of the zombies or whatever he is, and he has his own witch, and they are trying to get hold of this power source that they believe is what the dad is using to to power his starship. It seems like, and and this is, I suppose, the your archetypal MacGuffin. This is the whole thing the plot it's not massively relevant because it's essentially a, a battery that makes a ship sp- <laughs> spaceship fly that i think they have crossed wires he seems to think that this will give him like the power to do something he just talks about the power yeah and it, it seems that he doesn't quite understand what this power is it can power a spaceship but it, it can't give him superpowers <laughs> which which is very amusing i i do i do i do like mcguffin type stories I mean, you know, just like in James Bond, there, there, there's a From Russia with Love or Fear Eyes Only, mm. which I think are two of my, my favorite Bond films that are MacGuffin stories. I think MacGuffins are they, they do create they can create interesting stories, even though this this one had no had no meaning. Well, it had a little meaning. It does it does have a purpose by the end of the story. Uh, again, from the beginning, it's you know he's saying, "Where's the power? Where's this item?" And the dad it just was like, "Well, this what." It's, it, this is what I'm using to power my spaceship. You know, what, what do you want with it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe Tarek also has a spaceship that he wants. Maybe. Maybe he's not from Endor. It's it's hard to tell which of these characters are native to Endor. Like, Teak is native to Endor and the Ewoks are. But there are other characters that are. I, I'm assuming that the Marauders and Tarek and all, they, they are Endor creatures. But maybe they're not. Maybe they came from another planet. I know that um, that, that Charles, you know, the witch, in the legend stories, she is not from Endor. She's from somewhere else. And again, she she has an odd sort of role to play. She sort of can turn into a bird and spy on things, which seems like a Lord of the Rings thing. She's like a Sauron, right? But in but but in bird form, right? And she's almost like a like like a vampire that turns into a bat, but she turns into a a black uh, raven. So, so, so when I first showed this to to my my wife, and she was very excited that the idea of the witch of Endor, which is a, a character from the Bible, okay. to the Hebrew Bible, um, I can quote from from Wikipedia. Basically, it says in the Hebrew Bible, the witch Endor is a woman Saul consulted to summon the spirit of Prophet Samuel in the twenty eighth chapter of the first book of Samuel in order to receive advice against the Philistines in battle after his prior attempts to consult God through sacred lots and prophets had fought. There a lot of thought has gone into If this was deliberate, there is a lot of thought has gone into this. Yeah, I, that I don't know. But <laughs> m- m- perhaps that they figured that this is the third Star Wars film to feature the planet, or the, the moon Endor, the moon of Endor. Yeah. And, th- this, <clears throat> and after this, they were like, there's no witch of Endor. And that, I mean, there are there are there any other witches in Star Wars? The witches, an, um, another one of those fantasy type of things. I suppose with the other hand, you've got plenty of wizards, the the Jedi, but no witches. When I looked up this witch on uh, Wikipedia, I, it, so they said that in 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 the expanded universe and other materials, she is force sensitive. So okay, so, but there's no mention of the force in yeah. this film or 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 in the other Ewok film. I think I think the Force is probably what is what separates Star Wars from all other um, science fantasy. You know, but taking it back to what you were saying earlier about you know rem- almost stripping it bare of any Star Wars reference. It kind, of, it's. I mean, there's probably more reference to the Force in the Holiday Special. <laughs> I mean, at least I suppose at least you've got the, the most of the characters in there. But again, take the Ewoks out of it, and it's any budget thing that you know would be a an awful version of I don't know, Dark Crystal or Labyrinth or something like that. It's, it, I mean, of, of that era, but it's just strange. And, and even something I noticed that the score throughout, certainly the, the second film, it sounds more like Star Trek than Star Wars. Exactly. So, okay, so, so the, the score is written by, by Peter Bernstein, who is the son of the famous Elmer Bernstein. Hmm. Now, the, 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 sto- the score... In both films, there's there's a main theme that that's kind of recurring throughout the score in, in these films, and this this theme, it's, I think it's 
play a bit more prominent in the first one. But the theme reminds me of the, uh, of the original series theme written by uh, Alexander yeah. Courage. There, there's this, the same, that, the start of the melody is the same, the chords are the same. It, it's clearly, it sounds like that, that original Star Trek theme. So do, yeah, so that's something you also notice. Yeah, definitely. I, I wrote it down. I just thought it sounds like you know, lots of Star Trek music. What? Which I mean, I'm not a massive Star Trek fan, but I recognise the music. You know, it's um, <laughs> again, it's just odd. Like the whole concept of if it's a Star Wars, I'm not saying you know you're not going to get John Williams in for this, but please try his son. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But, but although in the first one they 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 do um, I think on, I think it was two occasions they use John Williams' Parade of the Ewoks from Return of the mm, Jedi. Yeah. So there there that is there, but only in the Caravan of Courage. It's it's not in the Battle for Endor. I mean I, I know there's a whole you know rights thing and everything. And I mean bear in mind, I, I'm not sure how it works in the states, but I mean over here, I mean the first Star Wars film took years to turn up on on television. And and this the first film I think was broadcast in was it eighty four? So we're thinking only a year after Return of the Jedi was released in the in the theaters. So, you know, perhaps a lot of people probably hadn't even seen it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I do well I, I did actually like the scores for these films. I thought Peter Bernstein actually wrote wrote beautiful scores. Hmm. Which which is um which, which, which I can't really say about many things that, that are made today, especially for television. Although television now has better, has often has more um, better written scores than it used to. Yeah. But, but yeah, although the, the music styles, uh, he's certainly similar to his father. He's um, similar to what Elmer wrote. There is there's a, certainly that modern, that the 20th century American composition sound is there. But there's also hints of, of English marches, or some some of the music reminds me of of, uh, of Russian ballet. Some of the Russian, there was a Russian ballet waltz type of piece in the score, which which actually I, I that interests me a lot. I'm I, I love movie films, music, make me film music and all that, and and classical music. So I I, I like to find you know, figure out when I'm hearing these things where it came from. It's great to hear. It's just, as you say, it just sounds like it's it's almost like a composition of work he's done for other projects. It, it could be for anything. Kind of, it doesn't. It does, it's not yeah. specific to Star Wars. There, there occasionally, it sounds like there's some motifs in there that might have been inspired by some, a few Star Wars, but very rarely. And if it's that rare, they might it might not have been inspired by Williams. Yeah, it was just something stuff he'd done for other things and hadn't used. They thought, well, we can just cobble these together. Right, because and both both um, Peter Bernstein is it seems sounds like he's very well versed in classical music, just as John Williams um, is very well versed in classical music and understands the different types of composition, different styles, and apparently, I, I, I'm sure Bernstein could have taken from a lot of the same inspiration that Williams did, except except he didn't. <laughs> Yeah. He, he didn't do that. He, he could have. I, I have no doubt that he's <laughs> capable of doing that. He's capable of, of of creating a more Star Wars-like sound. I mean, lots of composers were doing that. When you listen to to a lot of what Jerry Goldsmith did, mm-hmm. he, I mean, he takes certainly his his Star Trek theme from '79. It, it, it had that that that, um, that military march sound that clearly well, it could have been different if Star Wars hadn't happened. And I think again. You know, when you look at sort of the inspiration and, and the links to, to this and it just seems like such a missed opportunity where they've sat down and go right how can we how can we make it feel like a Star Wars movie but again it seems like a misstep yeah it, it feels more like any other 80s fantasy film and maybe sort of a, a horrible sort of turn of phrase would be like less than the sum of its parts <laughs> you know, you've, you've taken good music and kind of wasted it on this ish <laughs> I'm trying not to hate on it too much, but it just seems like no. Uh, well, I do like the films. I, I they're actually they are fun yeah. to watch, especially for. I, I mean, I am a fan of fantasy films, not as much as a lot of other people, but I enjoy them, and I enjoyed this in the same way that I would have enjoyed another fantasy film. I mean, it's it's no um, it's no Goonies. <laughs> true, but in this you've got Wilford Brimley, so um, in the, there is another link to some some of the some of the great eighties movies. So Wilford Brimley in America, I think, is probably not as well known for his films as he's known for um, a certain commercial that he's done. I don't know if you you probably wouldn't know it in the UK. Um, I, I saw was it to do with the 
uh, the oatmeal. No, so that that was before. Oh, okay. Since then, um, I think it probably started in the '90s. He's known for, um, for for doing commercials for this company called Liberty Medical. Okay, I, I don't know if you've heard of that. So, <laughs> no. so he talks. He he's had diabetes for a long time, but his line is that he says uh, he says I get my diabetes testing supplies from Liberty Medical, and it's the way that he says diabetes. If you have diabetes and are on Medicare. You may qualify for a free meter from Liberty Medical. <laughs> that 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 is. So I think most Americans who watch television probably over the last twenty years would would know him from this. Probably more than anything else. I I knew him from this before I had seen seen um, seen the Ewok films. I actually didn't recognize him because this was probably about fifteen years later that he was doing these commercials. But, so I, I couldn't. I mean, I, once I found that out, I, it's I just find that so funny. Because a lot of people have have um, you know have made um, jokes about the way he says diabetes, and or they you know they says that he he has the beatus. There were there were some there was an internet meme based on this. I I don't actually think these commercials are still on. They, they might be. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I'm sure they're on YouTube. Anyway. Oh, they are on YouTube, and I I recommend you watch at least one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, funny is that you mentioned internet memes. I mean, one that I probably get bore the arse off people with is um, there's a, a GIF that I tend to use quite a lot and probably overuse. Is um, there's one of Wicket with his arm around Sindel and his eyes, the way that it's been captured because Noah is Wilford Brimley's character, is this hoarder. He's they've got into his house. Uh, he's chased them out and they go and sit outside and start a fire and Wicket is sort of cuddling Sindel but looking up at uh, Noah and just has these these eyes and his arm and it just looks really I mean it's creepy there's no other word for it <laughs> I know I, I overuse it probably on, on certainly on Twitter but um yeah to see that on I've, I've got a sort of medium to large size TV and seeing that picture in glorious technicolor was uh it, it took me by surprise even then but um yeah i thought i'd best point that one out because it just it is creepy i know it's all very innocent in the context of the film it's he's quite protective of of this young child yeah his his eyes on this this gif oh, god <laughs> how whoever's animated it it makes it as his arm is sort of rubbing her quite unpleasant Obviously, Noah has, I suppose, the big character arc in, in this movie, in the second film, as he's originally this sort of grumpy hoarder. I mean, I suppose a hermit would, would be an old way, but... Um, we both. Yeah, and he... Um, this young girl and a bear basically force themselves, him and his rat, and um, and essentially he, he softens to them quite heavily, and uh, mostly because he allows them to make him a pie made out of flowers. Yeah, it it doesn't take long. I mean, even r- immediately after he kicks them out, he seems to already miss them. <laughs> yeah. You know, he he he's not he he seems to to he takes pity on them very quickly. And his his backstory becomes clear over the the second part of the film, where it turns out he was him and his friend were what was he saying tear up the galaxy? Which tear, like you want to tear up the galaxy? He's, he's like a, supposed to be like 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 a like a Han Solo. So th- this just imagine yeah. what Han Solo should have been like when he got older, <laughs> yeah. and he would have gotten fat and grown a beard. And, and diabetes wouldn't have been the disease he'd caught. But um, <laughs> he'd um, but unfortunately, yeah, they they crash landed on Endor, the the first planet, and um, his friend. We'll find out later, but is. Um, he got stranded with the ship that that couldn't land and uh, couldn't take off, and and he ended up with his Teague rat and um, living his sort of simple life. Really, was it Sa- Salek? Was his friend? Uh, was it Salek? Yeah, it's not Salek, not, yeah. not Sarek. No, who, who was from Star Trek? <laughs> I think it's yeah. Salek. Spock's father. Yes, yeah, Spock's it? father was Sarek. Uh, Sarek. Yeah, excellent character from Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, so we'll uh, we'll use. I mean, well, I say we we only find him as a, a skeleton in the cells, as um, Sindel has been taken by the the witch woman who's become a younger woman. Uh, it's just one of these shape shifting sort of gizmos. It's it's very weird. I mean, they get taken to prison, 
the witch has fallen out of favour with Terak. His name's wrong. And luckily, the uh, because Noah has you know he, he's taken a shine to this young girl, not like that. And the Ewoks help him out and um, yeah, go and go and rescue them. It's a very very, uh, very brave rescue attempt. I suppose this is the closest that we've come to to the original Star Wars movie where they actually go and rescue a princess of sorts. Yeah, I suppose it isn't uh, all, all that different in that in that sense from Star Wars. Now, now, how do you think the tone of the second film compares to the first, or, or it compares to Star Wars? Ooh, I mean, in terms of the first film, it's certainly, um, there's a lot more going on. There's a lot more action throughout. I mean, there's, you know, villains that we see throughout. They're, they're not just a sort of ultimate boss level sort of thing. You know, it's, and it's nice to see that, you know, that again, while they're doing the whole, it's like a fellowship again, where they're, they're going through valleys to, to get to this castle. It, I don't know it feels like it moves along a lot better in my eyes. It feels like a more standard sort of story that I'd I'd enjoy. I mean, compared to Star Wars, I mean that that would be the link. I'd I'd guess would be him trying to find, oh sorry, them trying to rescue damsel in distress, as it were, um, and a sort of group of ragtags of well Ewoks and a grumpy old man. Yeah. <laughs> He's a he's a he's a grumpy old man as opposed to Ben Kenobi, who is a wise old man. Yeah, I guess that's as close as we get. But um, <laughs> it's um, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, of the two, I, I prefer Battle for Endor a lot more. Although you know, the, again, the name just doesn't seem like it's appropriate. You know, Battle for Endor. It, it doesn't seem like anything to do with the planets in jeopardy or anything like that. But um, it just it just does seem like you know, ultimately, this whole sort of link between the two they, they they do work as a two as a double bill i suppose you have to to watch to introduce the characters not that they're around an awful lot in the second one right when i was watched so i watched them back to back as as you said you did and i immediately at the start of the second one it, it is it is um a lot darker mm, yeah the first one is a very light happy kids film the second one is very dark I mean, Teak, Teak lightens it up, but apart from that, it's, it's the whole film overall is much darker. That darkness, um, which, is, which is present in, in a lot of other 80s fantasy films, I think this is more, it's, it felt a bit more mature, the second one, than the first. One of the 80s fantasy film that I watched recently was, uh, was, was, was The Black Cauldron. Hmm. The Black Cauldron is actually also scored by, by Elmer Bernstein, uh, well, Peter's father. Yeah. So kind of that... Have made me feel a bit more of a connection to that, but I think that film was quite a dark tone, and has has a lot of similarities to to the structure of of these Ewok films with um, with people going to visions of the future or um, visions of elsewhere and going to a castle. It's a bit like sort of that dark fantasy sort of thing. I mean, there, there was a poster that I saw for this, and it was German, and the film in German was called Kampf um Endor, but this poster made. Uh, Terak looked like this massive villain and pictures of a planet in the background and star cruisers flying around. There was a young man in this poster who resembled no one in the movie. Um, he looked a bit like Channing Tatum holding a <laughs> holding a gun or, or a blaster in combat. And it just, I don't know, it just seems like this is a poster for a completely different film. And it was made as some dark, you know, I mean, he looks... If you watch that, if you saw that poster and rented the film, as a result, you'd be really disappointed. Um, I, I certainly enjoyed it more. And again, you know, take the Ewoks out of it; it's a, it's still a more watchable film. But I'd find, yeah, I think it's been missold in in several ways here. <laughs> so, are, are you a fan of the Ewok characters or, or not? I know Star Wars uh, fans are very split on this. Yeah, not, not really. I. I I guess I was when I was younger, but I think that it it just did seem a bit like this whole shameless cash in marketing thing. Really, it's um, I, I know you know if if they're the native character of Endor, then that they they serve a purpose. You know, they're not just there as as cuddly teddies. But um, <laughs> again, it's it, it just seems you know I, I don't know. I suppose better that than Jar Jar Binks. Right. No, what about I, yourself? Yeah. So. Because I came from the, the the generation that was able to watch all three Star Wars films at once, rather than you know, I think you know, I mean I'm I'm a fan of the Ewoks, 
so I know that a lot of people say so they say they, they, they watch the first two and then they get to the by the time they, they like three years later they get to, they get to Return of the Jedi and they see Ewoks, they um, they they were not a fan. They they thought it was mm-hmm. maybe too childish. Now for me for me that point didn't come until Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. So that that more childish part of Star Wars to me, I I wasn't I wasn't offended by it until seeing Jar Jar Binks and the other Gungans and uh, I I actually think that child Anakin bothers me even more than Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> True. I quite enjoyed the part that the link with this to the Millennium Falcon at least where they manage to power up the ship once they've escaped from the castle and the gun sort of turrets in there. I suppose as close to to that part of Star Wars as, as we'll get, albeit yeah. yeah, that's clearly a Star Wars ship. It doesn't feel like it's it's not a Star Trek ship. It's not some yeah. other fantasy spaceship. That is a real Star Trek, a Star Wars ship. It looks like a Star Wars ship inside and out, and that I, I also appreciated that it helped yeah. it helped remind me that this is Star Wars. <laughs> We're still in that universe, even though there's there's no outer space battles. There's None of that, which I think yeah. is probably the main attraction of uh, Star Wars. That's <laughs> kind of why we all watch it. Well, uh, we either watch Star Wars for the space battles or for the Jedi uh, lightsaber duels. We had a sword mm. fight here, which yes. which is very sad compared to a, a lightsaber duel, especially since we're used to seeing all sorts of um, men and creatures, old and young, doing excellent lightsaber duels. And here we have... An old man with his with this with um with, with, with I guess even with, that's not even a sword right he's he's using a staff is he using it's a staff a, or if if that or a cane <laughs> yeah his his staff that has a cat on the top <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I think that it that 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 is probably quite sad especially if we're expecting yeah. a lightsaber duel here and a, a guy with a sword that can chop trees in half but not this stick so it's <laughs> yeah kind of think oh here we go ultimate battle here we've got a sword fight and then it turns into almost a comedy in a way it's a shame i mean it's, it's promises a lot but i guess um you know maybe, maybe wilford brimley had it in his contract that he'd have to win this and not wield a sword or something there must be some caveat there yeah it reminds me of, of, uh, of roger moore in in the quest when he had to uh have you seen that i've seen almost all of roger moore films being a big oh, being, being a big bond fan all he yeah of course he has <laughs> I think he had in his contract that he had to have a, his own sword fight in, in that film. <laughs> so it's not a great moment there. No. But, I mean, the, the way they kill Tarek in this, it's, I, they sort of turn him into a statue using the ring that he took from the witch. I think that's a great way to kill him, though. Yeah. I, I, I like that. I, I think that's creative. It's, be- it's better than being hit on the head with a stick and knocking him out. <laughs> yes. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's clever because at least he, he they use something against him that it's not just a sort of you know battle of a force or, or an out, you know he's not been outfought with his stick and a sword. It's you know and and it's wicket dealing the final blow. Yeah, it was the gift of power to the Ewoks, we, and we get to see a lot of the same um, Ewok battle skills here that we saw in Return of the Jedi. Um, they're quite creative. Yeah, they're resourceful. So I'm I'm glad they they still use them the same way to keep that consistency with with Return of the Jedi. It shows they're so they're little bear warriors. Yeah. No, I don't know if you picked on the up on this, but there's something that 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 you notice that I noticed in this film that you don't notice in the other ones, and that's American accents. Like the American, mm. the way so Mace. He has this thick California accent. <laughs> right. I don't know if you notice that it, it's it's a I don't know I, I he's from California. It's it's a, it's a certain kind of accent that some Americans have. I mean, Wilford Brimley he's from he's from Utah. He had some he has he sounds also kind of like like um he sounds very clearly American. Whereas I think Americans in the Star Wars trilogy they. They just sound more neutral. I suppose that I suppose they they re- remove the regional part of it anyway, don't they? Right. You don't hear much regional accents in in Star. I mean, American accents or or in even the British accents are all received pronunciation yeah. in Star Wars. Peter Cushing. Yeah. yeah, him or any of. I mean, I mean, like Julian Glover. They they don't they don't sound like you know you you won't, you're not going to hear you know someone that sounds like they're they're from Yorkshire or from or from like East London. You don't hear those things in Star Wars. 
I guess that's why they dubbed over uh, David Prowse. <laughs> yeah, his Scottish accent. <laughs> I mean, it's heavy Bristol, I think, is what's Bristol. Which is, um, I thought he was like, distinctive in its own way. That's what he was. <laughs> yeah, all well, that that part of the world, anyway. But, uh, so, start uh, tearing this ship apart piece by piece until you found those tapes. Find the passengers of this vessel. I want them alive. Yeah. So I. That part of Star Wars, you know, we don't, we're not, we're not thinking about our own world when we're hearing these, these very mm. perfect British or American accents. Whereas here, we're here in in Ewok films, we're hearing people that sound more, more yeah. American, more <laughs> less polished, and and it, yeah. and, it, and it brings us in more into our own, you know, in, into our own world and less away from it. Yeah. Right here. R- removes the fantasy right and, and again that the final scene of this it's it's big sort of farewells all round and it transpires that uh Sindel is leaving endor with noah on his starship to go somewhere not quite sure where but um they they go off together as you know humans stick together uh even though i think wicket would have quite happily made her his sister <laughs> yes um I, I think I think Sindel would have. I, I think as a child she would have been happy to grow up with the Ewoks, but then I think by the time she became an adult she would have been very sad. Would have had a whole Jungle Book situation going on. <laughs> yeah, I think there are a lot of there are a lot of stories about people that are uh, they're fine when they they grow up. Well, see, she would have missed humans. Yeah. Where, whereas a lot of there are jungle there are stories where tra- children grow up in the jungle. And then they they don't even know what it's like to be a human because they they think there's something else. But yeah. whereas then you have the other stories where people they've been basically kidnapped or something, and then they <laughs> by the time like they they've been okay for a while, but then they realize that they're not okay being living with people with other creatures and not with their own. It's uh, I suppose for for her own good, it's probably best she went with Noah. I think so. Who, who knows where they went though? Yes. I mean, Tatooine, maybe. Hopefully, she, she. I mean, hopefully, you know, he took her to a place that where where he, he she could go to school and uh, <laughs> be, yeah. be raised like a normal person. She did talk yeah. about going. I think it's the first one they talk about. She, she wants to stay with the Ewoks, but then she had she has to go back to school and yeah. just like any other eighties child from any other eighties <laughs> uh, fantasy. Maybe it turns out they raise parents. There's a there's one. <laughs> yeah. That would be something. That they'd have to acknowledge these films. Then that's the campaign. They can bring the emperor back. They can bring back Noah and Sindel. They, they bring back a lot of things. Things that that are they they brought back things that that were striked from the canon. That are, and then they, they bring them back. There's hope yet. I think you know. With, uh, obviously, we don't know what, how episode nine is going to go at the, at the time we record. But um, yeah, if if Sindel's in there, I mean, she hasn't acted since these. But uh, fingers crossed. I think yeah. it's it's only fair. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe maybe they'll bring back Teak. Oh yeah, well I mean he should have his own film Teak. or she. Mm. Yeah, I guess we don't know if Teak's a he or she, do we? I think the the char- the actor was a female, but yeah, fingers crossed. We'll have a, a Teak story. <laughs> well, Matt, that was the an Ewok adventure and well, I suppose Caravan of Courage and the Battle for Endor. Two very different movies from your specialist subjects. So um, you're the editor of Bond Suits, and uh, I suppose and we chatted on the, the a previous episode about the podcast you do. But um, why don't you tell us a bit about Bond Suits first? Yeah, so my website is called The Suits of James Bond, and the, you can find that at bondsuits.com. I started that as a way to um, talk about tailored clothing, which is something that I, I love a lot. And I, I used the James Bond series to as a way to talk about the clothes more rather than the other way around. So it's, it's a blog more focused on menswear than it is about James Bond. But I do try to keep it James Bond focused as well. So I, I like to t- I talk about all the different types of tailored clothes that Bond wears and, and other things, other casual clothes too. The the podcast with yourself and Pete Brooker, previous guest, from Tailors With Love. Now that's a sort of fairly a, a regular look at, again, in the sort of could you say the extended James Bond universe, but with an emphasis on the sort of style and the fashions of the films and, and the community that goes around those. Right. We try to keep the podcast um, clothing and Bond related as much as we can. Sometimes we, we go off and talk about some other things, but we always try to bring it back to Bond and clothes. So Pete, Pete is the main guy that runs the podcast, but um, I'm his co-host and I'm, I'm there 
most of the time. <laughs> when you're not jaunting around uh, Venice and places like that. Right. Your Instagram and, and the Facebook shows, um, it was your honeymoon, wasn't it? The uh, Your recent trips, but um, yeah, various, yes. some fine Bond locations in there. Yeah, so I do try to go visit Bond locations when I can, and uh, I'm I'm glad that Bond visits wonderful locations because it's easy. It's you know I don't have any hard time convincing my wife to come with me to Bond locations. Yeah, well, let's hope he doesn't have to visit Endor anytime soon. Oh well, you know she's actually from that. She she grew up in that area. Uh, okay. Well, it's a little, it's, and the, that's a San Francisco area. So my wife grew yeah. up there, and they filmed. She's from South of san francisco that they filmed this north of san francisco in marin county so it'd be like going home then it would be we i have we have i haven't actually been there very much with her so um we we, we will be going back there again and perhaps i'll go find the ewok village oh excellent well uh we look forward to seeing that and if you do get any more tailoring examples of uh ewoks and Noah and people like that then uh, i look forward to seeing the things <laughs> yes. i don't think i don't think they go to savile row either do they no i I think that that's only the Imperial officers in Star Wars go to Savile Row. Yeah, yeah. Well, I say. I suppose Ewok. You know, you uh, you have to buy off the peg. <laughs> yeah, off, off the peg. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. Um, again, Matt. Thank you very much for coming to join us for these. Um, I'll put plenty of links to to the suits of James Bond and from Tales of Love. But um, it was a, a joy to revisit these movies. I mean, the the films themselves. I'll be honest that they weren't always a joy, but it was a joy to watch them again. Um, thank you very much for suggesting them. <laughs> yes, um, thank you, Rich, for having me on. Uh, it's my pleasure. And uh, as is tradition, I'll play out the podcast with a song that was number one in the UK when this film was released. And it did have a limited cinema release in the UK in April 1986. Um, unfortunately, it came out the same weekend as Pretty in Pink, so that's probably why it didn't do too well. Um, but number one then was A Different Corner by George Michael. So, um, yeah, nice, nice one to play this one out with. But um, again, Matt, thank you very much. Thank you. I'll speak to you soon. I'd say love was a magical flame I'd say love would keep us from pain Had I been there Had I been there I would promise you all of my life But to lose you would cut like a knife So I don't This episode is brought to you with executive producers Gary West, Fergus Higginson, Keith Foster, Jimmy Fletcher, Mark Drakes, Matt Cunnington, Christian Dees, Andy Elliott and Chris Hopkins and associate producer Chris Oakley. Visit patreon.com forward slash Betamax Video Club for more information about bonus episodes, early access and more. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast on iTunes.